Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You are listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with your sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then to align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. Enjoy the program. On our program is Steve Lonsberry. Steve is the president of KSI. He is also an advisor for Sitkins International and also a facilitator for the noise reduction system. Joining him is Larry Lenny, who is currently the president and CEO of Sitkins International and director of innovation for Intellectual Innovations Incorporated. He is also the owner of numerous small businesses and author of Make the Noise Go Away. Gentlemen, welcome to our program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, I'm, I'm uh, thrilled to have you both on the program. As you know, Larry, you and I have talked about this book, oh gosh, it seems like yesterday, but it's really been for probably almost a couple years ago now. So, Larry, let's start off with you first. Give us the background on Make the Noise Go Away. You bet. Yeah, the, uh, the book began uh, with, uh, with a lot of people saying you need to write a book because because of the, the issue that I was addressing. Numerous CEOs out there, and, and most business owners and leaders find themselves just not having the time to do what they do best, and being so bogged down with employee issues and client issues and problems and, and things that, you know, usually they start their business or they, they get into leadership thinking, well, I'm, you know, I, I've got freedom now. I'm, I'm going to own a company so I can have freedom. And all of a sudden they wake up one day and they find out that the business owns them, uh, the job owns them, they're doing stuff that they don't do best, and it just overwhelms their lives. And so, you know, two things happen. Uh, the, first of all, uh, I happened to be a second-in-command that was able to change the life of a first-in-command. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I don't have the degrees from the, from the best universities or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a good, hard-working, um, middle-class guy that went out there and, and, and was doing the work. And as a second-in-command, for some reason, all of a sudden, my first-in-command was doing what he did best. And he was able to, to have great success in the company, and we were able to, to triple the profitability and double the revenues in just a short period of time. And it was because we freed him up to do what he did best, created overall productivity in the organization that made us all more successful. And then from that, uh, it created the second issue of why the book was written. And that was because people started coming to me saying, Larry, can you teach us? We want to know what the heck you did and how you figured this out. But by getting these concepts put together, I was able to start coaching people and training people and bringing second commands along. And before you know it, um, I had so many people, I was having to put small classes together. Well, and that's when the second side of this thing came. And that's when people said, Larry, you've got to write a book. There's too many people out there with this issue. And everywhere I go, I ask people to write down on a piece of paper what they do best. And I ask them to write down on a piece of paper how much time they spend doing what they do best. And i got to tell you, Jim, it's, it's rarely that you find people more than 25%. It's usually 15 to 20% of the time. And, and all of the rest of the stuff that they're doing is noise. 
and it's keeping them from having the level of success that they need to have. And that's what this book addresses. It addresses the problem of first-in-command not doing what they do best and figuring out how to use a second-in-command uh, to be able to just make their noise go away. Thank you, Larry. And, and Steve, I know that you have known Larry for some time. Why don't you fill our audience in how you got connected with this program, Make the Noise Go Away? Sure. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Larry, you have to giggle about some of these. But, uh, in my past, I was operating in a role of second-in-command, not using that terminology because I didn't know Larry's terminology. But Larry and I met in uh, 2004 and quickly became good friends and recognized that I was striving to do what Larry was then doing as well, but he had more tools than I did. So, again, friendship, we started to exchange lots of information in 2005 and 2006, and I've been around it since with Larry, and uh, as he pulled all this together and created the seminar series for noise reduction, I said, I'm on board, and uh, since then, that's what I'm doing, taking these concepts and facilitating classes in Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, and Waterloo. Great. Larry, let's go back and give our audience just a reference point here. Obviously, we know what a president of a company or a CEO is or a director or general manager. We're so used to those titles. Give your definition of, I guess, the second-in-command. Well, that's, that's been uh, an evolving answer, and, I, and so today it might be a different answer than it was a few years ago, and that's just because I've, I've been able to watch this play out. Uh, but the answer is anybody that works for the first-in-command, a direct report of that first-in-command, that top leader of an organization, uh, is in a second-in-command role. Now, however, the book primarily focuses on teaching those in second-in-command roles that have other direct reports working for them. So it might be someone like a, a vice president of sales or operations or a, or a chief operating officer that works for a CEO, or, you know, or it could be um, you know, just different management level people. But I, I'll tell you, I use the second command principles in my life today with my executive assistant. Now, some of the principles in the book and some of the principles in the noise reduction system training program don't apply to her. Uh, because she doesn't do some of these things. But there are still numerous items. And, and, and there are about four or five principles that are the most critical principles of making the noise go away. And those can be utilized with, with, a, with an administrative assistant, um, an executive-level uh, assistant. It can be used with, uh, with anybody in, that, in, a, in a role that reports directly to that first-in-command. But again, the book primarily and the training system is, is primarily focused on direct reports to a first-in-command that actually have others working for them. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this, and it, it wasn't my intent, Jim. You know how sometimes uh, we have things happen in our life that, uh, that afterwards we find out there was other value that might have been, been even greater than what we first intended. And what I've heard is that salespeople, uh, people inside of the organization that really may not be the true overall first-in-command, but they have responsibility. They have a, 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 a end re responsibility in what they do. Um, they're using the, the model as them being the first in command, and their administrative staff or their people that work underneath them, they apply the second command principle. So what I've learned from, from my audience and from the people that are applying the principles 
is that really it's, it's, a, it's an order of relationship. It's not a value of one person being greater than another. It's an order of a relationship of what roles we have in helping each other do what we do best. And in this teaching, second commands, they actually have a better life as well because now they're doing what they do best. And what we've found in this is when first in commands are spending 15, 20, 25 percent of their time doing what they do best, they end up causing tremendous chaos in organizations that, that make it harder on second command. So it, it really is anybody that is a direct report is going to fall inside of that in, inside of that definition. So it is possible for in a company to have a half dozen second in commands. That's correct. Okay. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I know one company up in Wisconsin that they read the book, uh, they, they engaged with me and had some conversations around uh, the concept, and they ended up creating an entire culture around making the noise go away. And here's how it worked. The first in command with his five executive level staff members um, set up all the principles taught to where they were making his noise go away. They turned around and with all of their staff taught the principles so that they would make the noise go away upwardly to them. Then they felt like, you know what, really what we do as a business is we make the noise go away from our clients. So they created a whole business practice and model defining their client experience around making the noise go away from their clients. So it, it's, it's really the principles. I think what I've, what, what's happened with this book is, you know, there are two or three principles that maybe you've never heard of before, but the majority of them are packaging concepts to make them work as opposed to ideas that don't get applied. I've been able to package ideas to help them actually be applied and make them work. And that's why I make the noise being such a simple thinking of reality of we just need to eliminate noise, things that get in our way that keep us from focusing on our real strengths. And that's what the book does, and it can be applied in so many different ways. Steve, I'll direct this question to you. When I was reading the book, I thought this was interesting. Then the book, it talks about you may be a first-in-command in trouble if you have anxiety and doubt about your business, if you feel like it's really up to you do everything inside the business. And, boy, we heard that comment a lot from business owners. You know, all of us have experienced that at one time or another in our business or, or working with other businesses. Steve, when you started to actually facilitate Make the Noise Go Away program, what's been your feedback from people that have gone through it and have they experienced what you talked about in the book? Um, I would say... The most common feedback is that they have a plan and a path where they can start to see the leverage that occurs between two people with talent and different talent areas and how the path is to how, how we can leverage those two things. My example that I use in the training is around a guy that I worked with who was first in command and I was second in command. And once we figured out our different strengths, it became exponential, and he was the one that, uh, in fact, said, hey, the noise went away. And all that's been a really rewarding, fun trip. What Larry brought in the training system was an organized path and packaged together, as we said earlier. That's the most common thing is I have a plan and a path. Larry, you've talked about principles for our audience Maybe you can identify 
what some of those principles are that the book is based on in making the noise go away. You bet. Uh, the, the, the first one, and it's the, it's the core principle that's taught throughout the, the entire model, and that is upward communication and upward management. And what I have found, and this is one of those things that's, that is not necessarily taught very well, or it's not taught at all in the school systems, and it's a reverse model. What we typically do is teach delegation, and we say, you know, to be an effective delegator, you have to do certain things, and that that's critical to be an effective leader. Well, my finding with first-in-command is that whenever you have the ultimate responsibility for something, you are going to, you're going to be uh, compelled to check on it, oversee it, look at it, want to know what's going on, be on top of it. And what happens is in organizations when we delegate, uh, we really still own it as that leader. We still own what we've delegated and pushed away, so we feel compelled to go look over people's shoulders, follow up, find out what's going on, dig in. And, and it's not that we're bad people and it's not that we don't trust someone. It's that we are ultimately responsible for it, therefore we're compelled to know it. Well, one of the principles that I learned, and uh, I fell on it by working with, with uh, uh, the gentleman I was working for at the time, is that I found him to be digging in constantly, looking over people's shoulders, asking tons of questions, changing priorities as he walked through the organization, asking questions that were, that were forcing people to change the priorities. And I thought, you know what, I've got to change that. I've got to upwardly communicate and take things away from him. So what I started doing was meeting with him once a week and asking him, you know, what's keeping you up at night? What are you most concerned about? What are the biggest issues on your mind this week? And as I would capture those ideas and put them on, or what Eric thought, I'd put them on paper, and, and the way he liked to be communicated with was uh, with bullet point style on paper. And so what I would do is each week I would take those things and I would say, I got that. You know, he'd say, I, I'm really worried about this manufacturer. I'd say, well, let me take that, let me run with it. And then he'd say, well, and I was thinking about, I've got to get this proposal out. Okay, well, why don't I manage that and make sure it's going to be taken care of? And so what I was doing is instead of him delegating, as a second command, I was taking things from him. Now, that allowed me to own those, and initially it gave him no confidence change at all. But over a period of time when I would take them and then constantly communicate with him, keep the communication open and upward, any progress, any change, anything that was happening with those issues, it completely freed him up to be able to go focus on doing what he does best. So the first big principle, and it is, it's the core principle of the book, is an upward communication, taking things away from a first in command, from a, as a second command. And again, you can see where that would work with an administrative assistant, all the way across the board with, with different directors of departments or vice presidents or leaders of organizations. Let me give you one other. Um, I find that Many CEOs, first in commands, are, are very innovative. They, they have a tendency to be big idea people. They love to, to drive new ideas. But they, they tend to get incredibly frustrated because they'll go to a class, they'll go to an event, they'll read a book, and everybody in the organization is terrified. You know, they, they think, oh, no, they've gone to this class, they're going to come back and they're going to have new ideas. They, I, I've known employees to take books off of CEOs' desks because their fear of them actually wanting to go apply a whole lot of new ideas. And so we have this disjointed relationship where CEOs actually start feeling like they're a bad person because they bring new ideas and innovation, and the organization is telling them, oh, you're crazy, you're out there, you're trying to change too much, too fast. Well, 
what I've done is I've created a, a tool called the Innovation Gap Eliminator. And what this does is it realizes there's an innovation gap. There's a first-in-command or a leader innovator that's way out there, and there's an organization that's back here saying, look, look what's normal for us is really making us feel safe. And a bunch of new ideas are just going to absolutely annihilate us. Give us time to implement. And so what happens is we go through a process on this tool of helping the organization realize that it's really okay that we have implemented ideas in the past and that we're a good company at implementing ideas. And this tool guides them through that. And then we give the first in command the resource of, of being able to dump all of his ideas into a place where they're kept. Because that's the fear we have. First in commands that are innovators have this fear that what if my idea gets lost? And that's why I want to drive it into the organization so fast and immediate. It's because I'm terrified that it's going to go away. What if it doesn't happen? So we create a second command model that fills that gap between the organization's normal and a first in command's big ideas. And that second command starts owning these things, capturing them, implementing them in an order, upwardly communicating, and making it okay for the organization. So those are just a couple of the key principles, innovation, uh, a gap eliminator, and upward communication modeling. And there's 26 different principles that we teach in the noise reduction system training class. Larry, you talk about your own experience of being a second-in-command and eliminating some of the noise. Well, I get the impression that Maybe that came natural to you, so can you really teach this to other people? Yeah, I would say that's, that's exactly the answer. And, and, and uh, you know, it was, it was natural for me, um, for, and, and I don't, again, it's not an educational thing. I didn't go pick it up at school. I didn't pick up ideas there. I, I think I just had certain attributes about how I looked at things and, and um, how important it was for me. I mean, it started with me having a passion for this guy getting his noise eliminated. And, and I didn't know that terminology back then. As a matter of fact, the initial terminology was making him feel safe. Uh, he used to tell me, look, I want to feel safe because right now I don't feel safe. I, I'm worried about stuff. I'm following up with stuff. There's a lot of things. And so this initial passion that I had, that I really cared about this guy and I wanted him to feel safe. And so that's where I was looking for those principles. And the, the story was, after two years of him saying that's what I wanted, one day we're sitting at a Ruth's Chris uh, restaurant, sitting at dinner in San Diego, California, and I just looked at him and I said, hey, how, how's this feeling safe thing? How do you feel today? And he literally sat back in his chair, and he just had this look of just awe and, and peace, and he said, I... I I can't believe it. He said, you know, two years ago I was almost hospitalized due to stress. I was working ridiculous numbers of hours, and I didn't even know that my business was going to stick around. And today I'm coaching three of my kids' teams. I'm working less than 30-hour weeks. I'm more productive than I've ever been. I am really loving life. He said, I hadn't even thought about it. He said, what are you doing? <laughs> and that's where we had the chance to have the conversation and to start breaking, it, breaking through item by item. We picked up about six items that, that, that evening that we identified. And I said, you know what, our goal is going to be to move forward. We're going to start figuring out every time you feel safe, I want you to just tell me, Larry, that made me feel safe. So we kind of figured it out together. It was my focus, my passion to make it happen. 
we kept capturing those ideas. And then as I moved on from that company and replaced myself with another good second in command, I, I, I was able to find more principles in working with others. And as I've watched other first in command and second in command relationships, we've added. And that's how we ended up with the 26 different ideas. So it was natural to a certain extent, but I think it was because we just tapped into a passion of something that I wanted and something that he needed. So, Steve, when you're out facilitating this program, what do you see from the second-in-commands that attend this program on what their biggest frustration is? I think uh, the biggest single thing is their feeling of not being trusted at first. And as they get into the program and have the tools, they begin to develop the trust, the feeling of trust from the first-in-command as things start to be communicated upward. So... I think the biggest feedback is by the plan and path or the tools and the principles, they're able to understand better how to create that feeling of the first-in-command feeling safe. What it does for the second-in-command is they feel confidence, more confidence. They feel more safe themselves, I guess I would describe it as any of us, when we're confident about what we're doing and we're playing in an area of our own strengths and we're fitting together in a team where other people can fit in. That's what I, that's the most common feedback is they start to feel trusted. Larry, what are the uh, characteristics that make up a good second-in-command person? If I was to go hire one of these, what, what attributes yeah, that's are, a, what I look know, That is a great question. It's probably the most common question asked when I go to different events because everyone says, I, I want that mold. You know, and it started back in the days of, of, of people that knew uh, Bill, the guy that I was originally working with, and myself. They kept saying, how do we get a Larry Lenny? Well, you know, of course, the, the ego wants to say, well, let me tell you all my attributes, because that obviously has to be the perfect second command. But the reality is that's not the truth. And, and the truth is that a lot of different skill sets, a lot of different capabilities um, will, will make a good second command. I think the number one attribute that you would want to look for in a strong second command is someone that has the passion to make that first in command's noise go away. Uh, you know, that's what I identified earlier in this conversation is, is the reality of why a simple guy from West Texas was able to do that um, in a very, in a very kind of complex and sophisticated business. I, it was because I cared and I wanted to. So I think that's the first piece. And that's also part of what a first in command can create in the hiring process as well as in early training and development with a second command is the greatest value you can bring to this organization is freeing that first in command up. Uh, you know, as I go out around and speak around the country and ask, ask uh, everyone in the room that's a first or second command, that if in their past have they been successful, think of their greatest moments, their greatest successes, where they've been. Everybody in that room can just recite numerous times and numerous things that they've done that made him very, very successful. And then all of a sudden I'm speaking to this group, and most of them would tell you at this point in their career they're probably the least successful in their day-to-day -day activities than they've ever been. And it's because of the noise. So uh, that first attribute really is that they have the ability to care a lot about making that first-in-command's noise go away. Now, a second trait, and, and I do believe this is a, a, a helpful trait um, that maybe not everyone has, and it may be why a lot of second-commands fail, and that's the organizational skills. And, you know, Steve was a phenomenal second-command uh, in a couple of the organizations that I've watched him work 
And the reason why is because he can take ideas and concepts and organize them quickly. Um, he can take the communications from first and commands and put them into packages and organize and say, we need to do this, then this, then this. And that's a skill that I have as well, not in that way of packaging the ideas. Mine's more in organizing all of the processes or the things that we're going to work through. So organizational skills bring confidence. And, 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 you know, it's just like if you walked into somebody's office and saw paper everywhere, you wouldn't have confidence that they would be able to get something done. Um, but if they, if they display a highly organized office, it gives you more confidence. So I think organizational skills are a critical, critical part of, of being successful. You know, a lot of the other traits, the nice, well, I think the exciting thing about the noise reduction system is the majority of the traits can be taught. It's really not a skill set of having great articulation skills or, uh, or you know, being a good salesperson or, or having a good operations mind or being detailed focused or not. It, it really doesn't require that. Um, the tools and the systems that we teach are truly things that no matter what the makeup of the person, they can learn it and they can apply it. As long as they have those, those core concepts of I really want the other person to be successful and I'm relatively organized. You know, I'll tell you real quickly an example. I had one second in command that just continued to fail after fail after fail as we would work with them and talk to them. And one day I was visiting with them trying to understand it, and it came down to exactly what I just talked about. They said, you know what, I'm concerned about me being successful. I have a lot of stuff I want to get done. And you know what, that's his problem if he can't get his stuff done. Well, it was right then, it was very clear, that was the problem. He didn't care about that first in command. He was selfish with his desires to be successful and not wanting to help someone else be successful, thus making himself successful. So um, I, I think that's probably the simple answer to this is, you know, it's really exciting. A lot of people can be, a lot of different makeups of, of individuals can be very successful as a second command. So what are the characteristics of making the noise reduction system work for you if you're a first in command? Oh, yeah, maybe Steve and I both should answer that because I think we've both seen the different experiences. Um, you know, first of all, they have to be involved and aware of what's going on. And, and the way we start the training program is we have the first and second command work together in, in a session because uh, they need to understand some of the psychology around why, why do first and command dig into things and, and have a hard time letting go of, of certain details and things that are going on. And, and what are things that that first in command, uh, what would they be looking for that uh, maybe a second command could step into those roles? And by educating them on what they should be or could be looking for, as well as helping them understand some of the whole psychology around this, getting their buy-in, that's the first piece. Then the next piece of it is uh, having that first in command be engaged every month as that second command comes back from class and says, hey, I've learned this month that I should do, you know, I should interpret your messages these ways. What do you think? And they need to give advice. They need to listen to the things that are being taught, try to understand how they fit with them, and then communicate back to them. The next thing they have to do is they have to communicate on a weekly basis what's keeping them up at night, what's, where they're struggling, where, what their biggest priorities are, 
so that that second command has a chance to take those things and be successful. Let me tell you the one thing that doesn't work. And, and I'm gonna, well, actually, I'll give you two things that absolutely do not work. And from the experiences I've had over 12 years now of working with first-in-commands, the first thing is when first-in-commands go write a check and say, wow, I've paid for this, that must solve the problem. They still have to be involved. The second thing is whenever first-in-commands decide to drive it themselves and push the behaviors, teach the and, and, and make it the changes on their own, it never works. It always takes a second command owning it, believing in it, and taking charge of this. I've, I have personally not been successful teaching a first-in-command the principles and seeing any behavior change in an organization. I have seen almost every time with a second command, working with them and getting them to own it, first-in-command staying engaged where it works absolutely brilliantly to the point where I've had people that have told me they have gone from being hospitalized due to stress to now having some of the best freedom of their life. I've had business owners tell me that they were about to sell their family businesses, and now not only have they not sold it, they've started new companies with their kids because of how their kids have taken on second command principles. I've had stories of individuals' businesses being saved, and I'm telling you, it's because the second command takes ownership. Steve probably has seen a lot of things as well of what a first in command needs to do to make this work. I usually use a phrase something like Lincoln freed the slaves in 1863. So the second in command has to have that kind of freedom. But to respect, to care about the first in command, to be engaged, but then to take charge. Steve, when you're out talking to people about this program, what is that first-in-command experiencing that tells you, man, you should be attending? I, I guess partly because of my history with Larry and my history with all this is you can recognize most people, most first-in-commands relate to the idea of noise, and you talk about unique ability and all that, but finally if you said if all your noise went away, what would be possible? That really has opened up a lot for me. So it's about how do you make the noise go away? And if you had a way to make the noise go away, what's possible is where it begins to really resonate for a lot of the first in demand. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the program. Is there one question I should have asked you that I haven't asked you yet? That's a great question to ask, actually. I've done a lot of interviews all over the country, and I've not had that one, but you just triggered a thought. You know, the, the real question here is what's the quantifiable value? What I have found is that first-in-commands, when they quantify this question, it changes their life. You know, it's not just that frustration of noise, and it's not just having a better employee in your organization. It's when you quantify that question of what do you do best, what percent of the time do you spend doing it, and what would it be worth financially to you to get it to 50, 60, 70, 80% of the time doing what you do best? Now, I gotta tell you, Jim, it's been fun to watch that question be asked throughout the, the big events that I'll speak to or small groups. Usually, first in commands can justify anywhere, it usually is over $100,000 a year, and sometimes that's, re that's recurring, um, and many times the answer is over a million dollars is the value of them doing what they do best 60, 70, 80% of the time compared to 
15 to 20. I had one gentleman recently, just a, just a couple of weeks ago, that I, I asked him, what do you do best? He told me. I said, how much of the time do you do it? He said, 15%. I said, what do you do the rest? He said, chaos. I said, if you could eliminate that chaos and get to 80% of the time, what would it be worth? He said, Larry, if you could get me to 15, I mean, to 50% of my time doing what I do best, it would be worth $1.2 million. Well, when you start quantifying it, that's when, it's, that's when they realize the power of, a, of an, an effective second command is truly powerful. It's not just nice to have. It doesn't just feel good. There's true power. I've even told a couple of people that I think the real way that we could change the world right now in this economy is let's get all of our first in commands back to doing what they do best. So thanks for that question. I think that was the, that was the right question. Steve, anybody in our audience is interested in learning more about the noise reduction system, where could they go to find the information or how would they contact you? You want to reach out to me at Steve at uh, phone number is 219-350-6363. And email-wise is steve at com. And, Larry, is okay. there a, a website that uh, talks about uh, your book and your concepts? Absolutely. You can go to Larry Linney in a, in, in, on LarryLinney.com or Google search that, or you can also go to theiionline.com, and all of those will take you to the same place. You can also follow me on Twitter, uh, Larry Linney. You can follow me on, uh, on Facebook if you look up the noise reduction system. I'm also on uh, LinkedIn under the noise reduction system. So, um, any of those places you can follow news, ideas, uh, things that I'm thinking about, and uh, and new innovations around how to be a first or an effective first or second in command. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the program. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. You can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies on how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net.